astrology has two functions. It can be a tool for you to understand your own psychic economy and to connect with the healing that is necessary for you to become fully who you are. And it provides a map for that. And then there is the other function of astrology was to give us a perspective of what you know WTF is going on. This is I Have My Reasons, a podcast highlighting stories of human resourcefulness, resiliency, and growth. And I am your host, Deandra Day. Today on I Have My Reasons, I'm sitting down with Martin Comtois. He is an astrologer and a dream analyst, a Jungian dream analyst. And uh, in this conversation, we are talking about astrology, Jungian psychology, the unconscious, the collective unconscious, sublimation and spiritual bypassing, astrology as a map to our psyches and our times that we're currently in, and so much more. This is a really hefty conversation. I hope that you can stick with us here and uh, I hope you enjoy it. So Martin, I'm on, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, but I'm on season two. And so right. you're, um, I think you're maybe my 13th guest. Okay. Yeah. And so um, the podcast has become a really good resource for people people listen to my podcast and learn about other people's journeys and the things that they're interested in and um so I felt like it was really good to have you come on because you have such a wealth of knowledge in areas that I see are becoming more and more popular and more and more needed I don't know if you agree with that but I mean I see it all over the internet, and I don't know if it's just the circles that I'm hanging with, but astrology has become very, again, it feels like there's a resurgence in that, and also dream analysis, and Jungian stuff. I mean, I I feel like there's a lot more conversation um, that I'm witnessing um, about Jung and his wisdom, so... Absolutely, absolutely. It seems uh, that um, a big portion of Jung's work was meant for us. Yeah. You mean for these uh, times? Yeah. I think that uh, Jung wrote, there's many, many passages in Jung's writing that makes you feel like he's writing for what we're going through right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had that realization, although, you know, I don't think he was pre-sentient, but um, uh, Liz Green uses a, a beautiful analogy in her book on um, on Nostradamus, and he, she calls Nostradamus the keeper of the vine, and the keeper of the vine being a symbolic, um, you know, because when a culture moved somewhere, like the Italians, when they came to California, they brought their their vines with with them, you know? Mm-hmm. So keeper of the vine, it's a keeper of the tradition of mysticism. And Jung was very much a keeper of the vine. And he passed on a vine to us that, uh, you know, took its root in ancient history of man. And he took it from so many different people in his studies. Uh, if anything, Jung 
you know, was a prolific writer and a prolific lecturer and a prolific um, uh, analyst as well. But if anything that defines him more than anything is that he was a student yeah. and uh, there was no one, you know, there is a capacity for studies um, is unmatched uh, in terms of, you know, the male's library and what he read and what he understood, you know, because when you read his work, you go, wow, you know, you know, you meet so many amazing people when you read Jung. Uh, but uh, reading Jung is not so easy, but yet, uh, yes, anyway, that was a, a, a digression. Uh, no, it's but, perfect. Uh, it leads me into the question, Martin. I mean, I, I know that you've been studying Jung and his works for a long time, but how long have you been studying his works and how did you come to studying Carl Jung and, and um, yeah? Well, I when I lecture for Jungian societies, um, I tell the people, um, in, in just that um, I came too young through the back door. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, I don't really belong uh, lecturing in Jungian societies. Uh, uh, and yet, um, you know, I don't have an educational background. I'm a high school dropout. I never fit in. You know, I, I always lived on the margins of society. I have, uh, uh, you know, no university degrees, no, uh, I don't even have a high school degree, you know, so a diploma. So um, I don't really belong, but uh, my, uh, my passion for, for study, and mostly it's, you know, in an effort to resolve my own neurosis, you know. And so, you know, my history with astrology and with Jung, I guess with astrology comes earlier. I um, started studying astrology seriously when I was 28 and my Saturn return. And, um, and though the astrology was a background to my ongoing career as a restaurant manager and restaurant and a cook. And, you know, I've had many restaurants in my life. And so restaurant life was uh, vegetarian restaurant life was my life. Then astrology was a side, uh, but then when my last business went bankrupt and it became really clear that I had to be an astrologer. And so coming to my Chiron return when I turned 50, I um, finally made a commitment to being an astrologer. And, uh, and then it's when I dove into actually doing analysis with people, um, you know, because astrology is in a sense Jungian analysis. It is psychological analysis. It is uh, psychotherapy um, in probably the highest function because when when you have a chart, what you have is you have the map of the psyche of the individual. So, you know, in the analytical process, when you're working with an individual, uh, you will go through the process of analysis and you will find out many things over the course of a long analysis and you'll get to know your client. When you stop, when you drop into analysis and you have a chart, all of a sudden you have an objective standpoint to look at and then you have something to guide your analysis. And so in a very short time and with a person, you know, you can bring him, you can bring out cathartic, um, um, reactions in people, you know, you can, you know, break down people and you can just bring out the information that they've been seeking, you know, through years of work. 
um, the astrology will reveal it right away. And that's why I really needed to study Jung once I discovered that, uh, because astrology can do that whether you have Jungian training or not, or psychological training or not. It's what the great danger of it is, is that, uh, you know, you can trigger a, a, a psychosis, you can trigger a, a, a full-on breakdown to an individual. And that's what happened to me in my career, in my early career. I was triggering uh, breakdowns in people and I was experiencing things that, experiencing things that really I wasn't prepared for. And so then uh, that's what drove me into uh, uh, studying Jung passionately. Um, I'd been studying astrology from Liz Green, who is a Jungian analyst herself. So I was introduced to Jung through her work. But um, when I dove into the process of actually doing analysis, then it became really clear that, hey, you got to study Jung. And so then... um, I'm, uh, you know, I, you know, I think I'm on my third way through the whole collected works now. I was just going to ask you that. Yeah. And so he's got, is it, how many, is it 14, 14 words? 18 volumes. 18 volumes. Um, so for individuals that are, you know, don't really have an understanding of astrology or, you know, I want to say they have a very watered down understanding of astrology as we have in our pop culture horoscopes right the daily horoscopes and I mean I feel like that when people hear astrology that's what they think of not not everyone but some people right and um it's been seen as a bit of a like fun a fun thing, right? Like, oh, astrology, like what's your daily horoscope? Um, I know, I know personally, I've had my chart read by you and I know that there is a a much deeper um, system going on with astrology. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you could explain to someone who is ignorant around astrology, how would you explain to someone like how astrology works and um, what it is and and it as a science. Um, that's a difficult question, and we could do a whole podcast just on yeah, that question. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, to attempt to answer it briefly, uh, in one of his lectures, Jung um, Jung um, talked about. He said, um, "Many of you um, have heard about astrology and many of you would be surprised that a psychiatrist like me would be speaking of astrology. Uh, but really, I call it psych, um, I'm sorry, astrology is so wired into you that even though you have no conscious understanding of it, it is wired in the very experience of the human soul. Uh, astrology is the very first method of psychology that the humans had. And it's metaphorical in that really, if you look at the the early human experience, you know, there was no GPS, you know, if you were going to find new lands, if you were going to go anywhere, you looked at the stars to guide you. And you looked at the stars to map out. And those cultures who developed an understanding of the skies were the cultures that really were the prominent cultures in, our, in, in the early development 
you know, and, and not only was astrology popular in, you know, in, in the basin of our culture, the, you know, the basin of the Western culture, Greek, you know, the Greeks and the, the, the Northern African, you know, the Egyptians, you know, the, those um, cultures that we get a lot of, you know, our, our, our myths from, uh, but also all the different cultures had an astrology, the Chinese had an astrology, the Mayans had an astrology, you know, even our native people here, you know, looked at the wheel of time and looked at the wheel, uh, the medicine wheel, you know, these are all astrological symbolism, mandala symbolism. And so these things are as old as man and they're contained within the, you know, what Jung would call the collective unconscious and so then these roots are deeply there now in our pop you know i call it pop astrology you know we are confronted with these things and they pluck strings that have their roots in our very ancestral line you know you know we may have a great great grandmother that studied astrology you know we may have you know so the these um these things um pluck cords and sometimes we'll talk about a sign or we'll say something and we open up a door you know a hallway to wisdom that uh, you know so so then you know just speaking of of the mythology of astrology in terms of the signs and and or the archetypes the planets you know these are uh, living myths that very much we are redefining and so, so then wherever you touch, you know, you kind of, you know, you kind of experience the eternal, you know, the, 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 I want to say the eternal wisdom of astrology, you know, it's, it's almost like a religious system, you know, you plug yourself in and ooh, you get, you know, you get a shock, you know, and so then you get some light, you know, so, <clears throat> so the, you know, and so that's a ph phenomenon. And even when Jung was writing, I mean, Jung in his work started studying astrology when he in his early twenties. Mm -hmm. He um, there's um, a lot of people don't know this about Jung. You know, like Jung, especially you know, in my degree and stuff, Carl Jung um, is known for his theory on the collective unconscious. And there's some kind of key pieces that. They talk about with Young, and then they stop there. They don't talk about his interest in astrology or his interest in alchemy. Um, and I've, I've I found that fascinating because anytime in any psychology course or even in my counseling degree, we talk about Young to a place. And we don't talk about the mystic parts of Young and the stuff that he was doing um, that are considered fringe, you know, uh, especially in the psychiatric um, and psychotherapy world. Well, Jung is a very complex individual, and his contributions uh, uh, have affected us in such profound ways. And yet, he's a man that is so misunderstood in terms of the. You know, that's why. That's why, you know, I, I, it, the, the one of the main goals of my work when I work with someone and is to, uh, especially with healers like yourself, is to um, take up the endeavor of reading Jung directly. Mm -hmm. And uh, although it requires a certain moral and intellectual courage. Yes. You know, and, and persistence. 
right? Because it's, it's intensive. It's not an easy read. It's like sometimes when I read young, I'm reading the same sentence four times (laughs) because I'm like, I got, I got to really let this sink in because some of the stuff is very profound. Well, that's one of the things that I'm realizing what I'm, what my mission is, is to uh, try to articulate these things. Um, and so I just did on my uh, YouTube channel, uh, so a little commercial, uh, <laughs> I did uh, a, 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 um, a 10 video series, non-video series on the undiscovered self, which is one of Jung's main essay, late essays. It's one of the last essays that he wrote, and he wrote it on the collective psychosis uh, of what he had just lived through to World War II, and also what he was living through in terms of the Iron Curtain and the tensions of the uh, late 50s and, and early 60s. And uh, that material is so applicable to today. And so then I do, um, I, we read uh, uh, Jung's text, and then, and then I do a little commentary paragraph by paragraph to try to help people dissect what, you know, because Jung's way of speaking, you can take one sentence and you can make a dissertation out of just one sentence in his work. You know, this is a, this is an intellectual, this is a man with such capacity of to language, you know, he knew many, many different languages and, 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 uh, and you, you're working through his work and, you know, it's on a subject matter and then he goes into digressions and all of a sudden opens a door and then, you know, four pages later, he says, oh, well, I should get back to my point. Uh, and then in those four pages, you're just, you know, like, wow, it's gold, you know? So yes, it is difficult to read Jung and it requires what I say, intellectual and moral courage. You know, you got to be willing to read something and say, well, I didn't understand anything you just said. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let me try again. Oh, and okay. And then you want, you really have to, it's almost like you're dissecting an ancient text, you know? Yeah. But in terms of um, Jung and, astro- and, and astrology, there's a beautiful little book that Liz Green did currently, uh, recently. It's oh. called um, Jung Studies in Astrology. And it's a very, very uh, academic text. Uh, Liz Green now is working in a university in England. Um, and um, her work has become really, really uh, incredible. It comes in a two um, in a two volume set that you can order both of them, and one of them is the astrological world of the Liber Novus, which is the Red Book, and Mm -hmm. then the other one is um, the Jung's study in astrology, and that's you know he'll give you you know it's a short book, but again. You know, Liz Green is the same way, you know, and I think anybody who really dives deep into the psyche, their work is not so approachable because in essence, in order to read it, you got to do the work of integrating what it's saying. And so then you'll find that you read something and it throws you off into a depression and then all of a sudden you're working through it. And that's what's my my experience with reading Jung is that whatever I was ready for next would show up on my library, you know? And so at the beginning, you know, as I was collecting the collected works one volume at a time, it was, you know, bits and pieces and I was reading this and I was reading that. And then I was, Oh, next book, I got to get this one. And whenever the next book was ready, 
only this year did I really make an attempt at reading everything in order. And reading in everything in order from the beginning to the end is uh, just a, a remarkable experience. Mm. But again, it's something that you will have to educate yourself to. And so that's what I'm attempting to do. I'm going to do my next um, video series will be on dream analysis, one of his last essays on dream analysis. And so blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, not blah, blah, blah. Amazing. Um, there's, you know, I was a lot of different things came up for me there, but just getting back to the astrology, the astrological piece, I know that I've worked with you and the analysis. Um, you know, the thing about astrology that I didn't quite understand until I had my chart read was that looking at these, the planets as archetypes and how they show up in our psyche and in our lives and um, seeing that, how do I want to explain this, that we're not just talking about a planet, we're talking about um, something that, that has an archetype that has properties and characteristics and like how those planets show up in your in your in your psyche in your life and one of the ways that I've I guess organized it in my mind and I'm not I'm not saying that this is accurate but I I am a type of person that tends to want like some sort of scientific explanation it's like I want this like grounded proof of something right and I understand that there's limitations to that but one of the ways that I've been able to um, reconcile this with astrologies is I think about like, obviously, these planets have impacts on the natural world. You know, we think about the moon, simply the moon has an impact energetically on waves, on water, right, in the planet. So if you look at that itself, and like, look at how a full moon has an impact on just the natural world. And then you, how could we not extend that into its impact on us energetically? And I know that's highly simplified, but I'm just saying like, for me, that's a way that um, I'm like, well, obviously these these um, planets are, are forces of energy that have an impact on us. I don't know what you have to say about that, Martin, but I wanted to bring that up. Well, there's a lots of doors there that I could walk through and talk for quite a while, mm -hmm. but uh, let's uh, begin from the beginning. Uh, well, you know, I think that in the history of the human development, you know, what one of Jung's main complaints about <coughs> the, excuse me, the um, the modern man is that modern man is unhistorical. He has no connection with history. But if you think about it, everything about our culture, the very basics of it, how we celebrate birthdays, how we celebrate Christmas, how we celebrate Easter, how we celebrate now more and more the equinoxes and the solstices, how uh, the days of the week are named after the planets. Monday is Moon Day, Tuesday is Mars Day, you know, you know, Friday, Venus Day, Saturday, Saturn's Day. And these things go back in history and all the months and all of the way the calendar is formed, that's astrology. 
Everything that we do is based on astrology. The way the Easter is calculated is what, you know, it's the first Sunday after the first full moon of spring. You know, people don't know this stuff, though. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Modern man is unhistorical. It doesn't understand the very foundation of this incredible experience that has been the human experience. Mm -hmm. And that astrology has been with us from the beginning. You know, it's the it's the it's the witness. And it's a system that is symbolic. So one of the things that you were saying in 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 is um so why do they have such you know why do these myths and these archetypes at such compelling powers upon us you know there was an early christian origin origin was an early gnostic christian and he said uh, no that all these stars that you see they're also within you you know and that's like at the beginning of christianity this is right you know right at the turn of the age of pisces beginning of the age of pisces these things were well understood even in the catholic and the christian religions and of course in islam and buddhism and hinduism astrology plays a big part in the mythology so but how do they actually you know so so how do we understand it from a, you know, a, a, from a um, empirical perspective, you know, scientific empirical perspective? And so that's what's really important to understand about Jung versus other great thinkers. Jung was a doctor. He looked at a psycholo psychology as the doctor of the soul. To him, psychology was psyche, the knowledge of the psyche. In modern psychology, we have psychology without soul. Yes. There is no soul. And because so we're talking a lot about cognitions, you know, like in psychology, it's a lot about like thoughts and cognitions and um, rationalizing things. You know, it's like it really brings us often and this is shifting as well, I can say, but the psychology has been focused on the mind, not the soul. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and in, you know, because Jung was one of the founding fathers of psychology of modern psychology with Freud, you know, the, you know, in re reading Jung's early work, you really get to hear that. But I wanted to bring out the point of one, one thing that Jung calls, uh, uses, a, a phrase that uses, Jung uses a lot, which is very relevant. And I find myself using that a lot in personal analysis with people in explaining the influence of the planets. Jung used the phrase psychic economy. Psychic economy, okay. Psychic economy. So in the psychic economy, so meaning that really within your own psyche, there are different forces at play that are symbolized either as creative functions or, but he said the best way to understand the psychic economy is to realize that there are archetypes within your psychic economy that affect you. You know, so there's the mother archetype, 
There's the father archetype. There's the divine son. There's the beautiful daughter. These are all experiences that are wired in us as psychic dominance, he calls them. Right. So the mother archetype. So you are a mother. You experience being mothered. You experience mother. That is an archetype within you. And it has an ancestral connection from all the mothers in your ancestral line. Right. And that's defined by the moon. Right. Right. So then here you are when you're reading a chart, the mothering archetype is in this particular sign, it's doing this, it's engaging with that. So all of a sudden, we get the makeup of the psychic economy of the individual. How do you relate with the mother archetype? You know, then there's other archetypes that are well known, the trickster. The trickster archetype, you know, a lot of people identify with the trickster, they identify with all the versions of the trickster. Well, and that trickster has been well-defined in astrology for thousands of years, and we call him Mercury. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but you can call him Coyote. You can call him whatever you want. The trickster archetype is real. Mm-hmm. And he is part of your psychic economy, meaning that, you know, economy means, well, the, the, the trickster archetype is quite weak in your chart or it's very strong in you. It's really constellated. Oh, the mother archetype in your psychic economy is deficient and wounded. Well, as the father archetype. So now here we have a tool that gives us a makeup of the psychic personality. And that's why Jung was fascinated And if you study Jung's evolution of his work and the role that astrology made to his work, you know, Jung, you know, we we have a a psychological system that's been with us, you know, since the 1940s called the Briggs and Myers test. Mm -hmm. Well, the Briggs and Myers test is based on the four functions of Jungian psychology. And those four functions are a direct mirroring of the four elements in astrology. Right, because there's introvert, extrovert. No, the introvert and the extrovert, but there's the intuitive, intuition. Receiving, um, judging. Well, intuition, and then we have a feeling, then we have sensation, and we have rationalism or thinking. Right. Those four functions are the four elements in astrology. Thinking is the air element. Feeling is the water element. Intuition is the fire element um, and sensation is the earth element. So and he acknowledges when he writes his thesis, one of the early volumes in the collected work is the four functions of which that work forms the foundation of the Briggs and Myers test. Um, um, He that, you know, that's a, you know, 500 page brick where he really looks into um, sometimes names don't come right away. Uh, um, uh, yeah, James, William James, uh, early psychologist. Okay, so then Jung goes into James and it, he goes into Splitter and different early psychologists and he looks at this problem of types. And then further on, he acknowledges that this is not new. These people talked about it, but also you have it in astrology already. 
and so and then and then this whole thing about you know the 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 introvert and the extrovert also you know union contributions but you know how does that form the whole system of astrology is almost like a mirror of union psychology in a sense and it's developed together so what people don't know is that jung uh, did charts for his complicated case so much so that um, astrology was such a, a part of him that, you know, back then you didn't have computers. You needed to make the calculations. Jung's first reading that he was done on himself was by a disciple of Freud who did Jung's chart. But as Jung was calculating these horoscopes, it was painstaking. So he taught his daughter uh, to do the charts for him. Uh, Marianne Jung, later, after fulfilling her family duties, also became an astrologer. There are some lectures in the 70s where, you, where, where Jung's daughter lectures on astrology and Jung's chart, and Liz Green really talks about that. But, um, but so, so then that's how intimate astrology was. And yet, you know, you read all the many biographies of Jung. Some biographers will talk about astrology and some biographers won't. Mm -hmm. And so Jung was such a complex individual that he could keep the mystical side of his studies completely unknown to everybody. While he, you know, played the role of psychiatrist and, and, and you know, and so, but then if you study him more and more, you start realizing how really we are capable now of understanding Jung better than, than the people of his own generation. Yeah. I was just going to say that it's like, it's almost like he knew that, that the times weren't quite ready for what he, what he was doing, you know? Um, I mean, within culture. And I think that we're, people are becoming more open I hope they are to that. And I, I want to share too. I mean, I, when I was a, a child, I was really interested in astrology. I was 14 and I remember buying a book, um, astrology for dummies, <laughs> you know, those yellow mm -hmm. and black books. And I think it was 13, 14. And I started moving like, cause it was supposed to teach me how to make charts and I got overwhelmed. So I let it go and I never really touched it again. Um, right. And I met you in a workshop that I did with you. And I want to tell right. the story because I think it's important because it kind of locates our relationship as well. It was in Kamloops and you were doing a workshop and you were talking about the astrological times that we were in. And I believe this would have been like 2012, maybe 2013, mm -hmm. a long time ago. And I remember you talking about a time of great chaos that was coming. Um, and change right but challenge deep challenge and i was still quite critically minded to be honest i was like i'm gonna go to this workshop there was a part of me that took me there and then there was this other part of me that was like is this stuff even real you know but i just i this is where i've danced for a long time to be honest and i went to the workshop i met you and i listened and it hit me and i i was there and i heard what you said and i packed it away and then when things started getting really crazy the last three years in our society, you came to mind. And I remember the workshop and I remember thinking, holy shit, <laughs> that workshop 
that um, analysis of our astrological times, it's true. This is where we are. And I remembered the things that we talked about. And then I was like, I'm going to work with Martin. And I, I booked my first chart reading with you. And that's how I've become reconnected with astrology. And, you know, that chart reading that we did together was very instrumental in, um, you know, my path now. But one of the things that you had said earlier that I want to circle back to is this, um, you know, sometimes our astrology charts or this this work can trigger stuff, right? Um, and so one of the things I say often to people I work with, and I just, I hold this to be true, is that we arrive at these things at the right time, you know? And so I trust that I came to this work now because I needed to. And I don't know that I would have if I would have come to it earlier, if I would have taken it as seriously, or if it would have been as impactful. Um, but that this isn't just pop, pop culture stuff, right? Like as you move into this astrology um, work, it's deep. And it's, it hits you in places, like you said, plucking strings that um, it's hard to explain. It's an embodied experience. And I can't really explain it from a place of uh, my mind. But what I know is that it's it is um, it's moving and it's moving in a way that is beyond mind. You know, like the 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 changes that have happened for me in understanding my astrology, my astrological chart, and the archetypes that that show up in my life. Um, it's changed me. It just it just has changed me in my perspective about myself and um, things that I wouldn't have brought up in say therapy that I maybe wouldn't have been able to name or I wouldn't have been aware of were brought up in my chart. And I know that they're real or they're true because when they're said, there's a reaction, an internal reaction, an emotional reaction that I can't make right. up. Right. That's the, that's the scientific evidence that we need, you know, when you're touched, you know, and, and uh, I remember you at that, uh, at that, um, at that lecture and I remember how wide eyed you were and how blown away you were and how moved you were by it. But uh, in my work, I find this experience a lot too. And I find also that uh, this crisis uh, was amazing for my business, you know, from, you know, if you look at it from a business point of view, I never look at it from a business point of view. I look at myself as a, the keeper of the gate, you know, the astrologer is the keeper of the gate. And what gate is that? Well, I keep the gate to hell, you know. I allow people to go into hell and to sort things out and to take all the shit there and to make compost and grow a beautiful garden in their hearts, you know. And so in in that sense, um, we, you know, this, this, uh, this crisis, you know, people said, oh, wow, you remember that freak? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he was right. Well, I better go and get a reading from him. So right after the crisis uh, happened, um, I had the biggest summer, the, the biggest, uh, you know, from March to September, October, I think I did uh, 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 almost 300 charts, uh, which is, uh, you know, usually I do about 200 charts in a year. And so, here I was doing 300 charts in six months. And I was like, whoa, in terms of energetic uh, 
realizations. And so, yeah, that was a major part of me. But um, to get back to what you were addressing too, and I think that you had set this as an intention in our meeting is to talk about the concept of the unconscious and more yes. specifically the, con the concept of the collective unconscious. Yes, please. So we live in the cult of the, the cult of consciousness, you know, like, you, you know, cognitive psychology, you know, it's what we're conscious of. Mm -hmm. And Jung's studies and Freud's studies were into what he, they called, the terms they called, the unconscious. The unconscious is everything that we are not conscious of. And that world is just as real as a rational thinking, but we are so one-sided in our civilization that we only empower, you know, since the, you know, what we call the enlightenment, you know, the, the, the industrial, you know, which led to the industrial revolution and the scientific revolution and then the technological revolution and all of these things that we've been going through in the last 200 years, This is a very short time in the history of the human mind, you know, and and we tend to think that that's where the most intelligent people are. But really, there's a lot of treasures in in antiquity and in other you know times that have you know have infect you know affected it a lot. But but in this um, you know, so Jung calls it the cult of consciousness. We think that there's nothing beyond consciousness and that prove it, you know, this thing, you know, well, you're saying this, prove it, you know, mm -hmm. well, and we prove it. And that's why um, the undiscovered self is such a great essay, because he kind of destroys all of that in a very beautiful way. But um, so what is this unconscious, you know, and how is it empirical? How, you know, how is it formed and what does, you know, so, so that's what Jung's studies were into, you know, and so, so what astrology does, the astrological system is a symbolic system that approaches the unconscious, just like a religious system would be, you know, a religious system is a way of approaching things that we cannot, you know, prove, right. you know, we have an anthropomorphic kind of way of dealing with, you know, what we call God and we have human projections. But when it comes down to it, Jung says, it says, there's no way we can prove anything of that. So that's why we don't, I don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't talk about, you know, Jung in studying Christian mythology and all of the other mythology and astrology and like that doesn't seek, he, he looks at it as contents of the unconscious and looks at it as scientific evidence. That's what led him to work with dreams. Dreams became to him the most important voice of the unconscious. But also he saw mythology, fairy tales, all of these things that address something that cannot be proved by a rational mind, but that still have tremendous effect on us. You know, the, 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 the world of the archetypes, you know, and all of these stories, they point to something, you know, when we talk about magic, when we talk about ghosts, we talk about spirits, we talk about gods, we talk about planetary archetypes. Jung just called that, give it a scientific world, word, he called it the unconscious. Okay. And, and then he made two 
references. He made references to the personal unconscious, what's mine and what's unconscious in me, and how do I develop a relationship with that. But as I dig in my personal unconscious, all of a sudden I discover layers that are collective. And when it comes down to it, these collective layers are there for all of us. You know, so then that's that where, like symbols. Well, yes, symbols, but layers. You know, Jung had a dream that he shares in memories, dreams, and reflections. And if you're interested in this work, you know, and want to come, come into Jung, the best way to get into Jung to begin with, and it's a difficult book to read, but it's memories, dreams, and reflections. And in, it's an autobiography written at the end of his life where he tells his story of his life through his dreams. So it's a beautiful way to begin your own understanding of dreams because he talks about his evolution as a, as a psychiatrist and as a man through the main dreams that came to him. And so when he was on the boat with Freud to go to America for the first time in the, you know, in 1910, 1912, he, um, he had a dream. He was in his house and he was in the, you know, in the in the main floor of his house, and it was all that had a very um, you know sixteenth, seventeenth century feel to it. And he was really amazed, and he saw the door to the basement, and he went to the basement, and in the basement, he saw. Um, uh, an even earlier kind of setting, kind of a, a, a Roman kind of brick kind of structure. And then he saw a little trap door and he went into it and then there was bones and skulls, you know. And so that dream led to this definition. He shared that dream with Freud and Freud had nothing to do with it, but he said that that that's when the, the the concepts of the personal unconscious, you know, my 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 immediate ancestry, my connection, my grandfather, my you know, and you know, so this connection to the 15th century, and then to the Roman times, and then to prehistory and and bones, you know, and 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 how the the layers of the unconscious are like that, and the more you go into the history, the more we share all that same history mm -hmm. and so yes though that is populated by archetypes but it forms you know and, and what i'm getting at is that's where astrology can become so good at predicting because the you know the 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 the, the makeup of the charts address layers of the unconscious where you become aware of movements in the unconscious that are cyclical, but that they're long ranging. So what we saw, you know, when 2008 came in, Pluto came into Capricorn. You know, 2008 was a big, big time. You know, that's when, you know, and it's interesting how we went, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, you know, we were wearing masks then, but we were wearing anonymous masks, you know, and, and, and. What do you mean by that? You anonymous remember the masks. anonymous masks? 
Like the, the, the people that were wearing the. Yes. No, I don't remember. Yes, yes. So in 2011, 2012, the people that were, you know, protesting the 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 one percent and that was yes. that were Sorry. occupying yes. Wall Street. Yes. They were wearing masks, those people, right? Right. Yes. They were wearing this anonymous mask. Huh? So it's interesting how we went from that mask to the mask that we're currently wearing. Mm-hmm. And there's a narrative there. So that if you pay attention to the movements of the unconscious, and that's what Jung talked about. Jung talked about what's going on right now in our collectives. We, there, you know, in, at the end of The Undiscovered Self, Jung talks about this inner man that is rising within us that is becoming real. And I think that that's really what's going on in the collective psychosis right now is that there's an awakening. It's a deeply painful awakening of that inner man within us that wants to be lived. And he looked at the the, the symbol of that inner man being Christ, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, but he looked at it in the mythical, you know, in, in terms of what the Gnostic talked about in terms of the Anthropos or the perfect bisexual man. You know, we see so much you know, going on right now about, you know, the, 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 um, the, the um, bisexuality that is all within us, where we have a masculine and a feminine, so much so that many, many, you know, young people don't want to be referred to as masculine or feminine. They want to be referred to as both. Yeah. These are alchemical concepts that take their roots all the way into the history of man. Mm-hmm. Mercury, Mercury was known as duplex because he was both masculine and feminine. You know, these are, you know, concepts of a so much Martin, more. Can I interrupt for a second? Sorry. So would this be considered like a collective unconscious? Like these, these concepts are within our collective unconscious? There is what, that what's emerging from the collective unconscious into consciousness. Mm-hmm. So Jung talks about what happens at the change of an age. You know, Jung was the first one to talk about the age of Aquarius. And, and in here, Liz Green proves that. Aside, you know, that Jung was the very first one to talk about the age of Aquarius. And he talked about what happens at a change of an age. He says that there's a shift in archetypal dominance. You know, what, what this... So these archetypes are shifting. We're developing new relationships with them. And so then when you have the astrological perspective, then it maps out. You know, you have the square of Uranus and Pluto that we've been living through from from 2008 to 2020. Now we have the Saturn Uranus. And then in 2020 and 2021, we had every single planet's conjuncting Pluto, except Uranus, Sat, uh, Uranus, um, Chiron, uh, uh, and uh, Neptune. Uh, every other planet made a conjunction with Pluto. And then we had the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in conjunction with Pluto. You know, so all of a sudden there's an archetypal unconscious narrative that's revealed. Is Pluto so the one, sorry, did you say Pluto was duplex? No, Mercury's duplex. Mercury's duplex. Sorry, keep going. Yeah. Okay. 
Pluto is a much further archetype, and you know, again, we could, we, you know, we could, um, yeah. <laughs> we could have uh, so many uh, different ones. But w- there's a point that I'm trying to get to is that astrology has two functions. It can be a tool for you to understand your own psychic economy and to connect with the healing that is necessary for you to become fully who you are, and it provides a map for that. And then there is the other function of astrology, which to give us a perspective of what you know WTF is going on. You know, mm-hmm. it tells us, it gives us a story, a narrative that is objective about cyclical patterns. If somebody is interested in this, there's an incredible, the most important uh, astrology book of our of our generation is um, um, Richard Tarnas' um, his book, um, Cosmos and Psyche. Uh, in Cosmos and Psyche, um, um, Richard Tarnas maps out the collective history of the last 3,000 years from the perspective of astrological transits. So Mm -hmm. that he, you know, it's a book that took him 30 years to write. And again, it's not a book that you will get through really easily, but you will see these planetary alignments in history and the movements and the evolution of the human experience through that and will bring you to these times that we're going through. And like you were commenting earlier, you know, at no point in history has astrology been more popular. Mm-hmm. You know, although it's so rooted in us because of the technological advance and because of, you know, the the Google and the Wikipedias and all of this information, one can learn the deepest aspects of astrology just by, you know, you know, doing, you know, weekend researches, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's the great danger of it is that those tools, if they don't, they're not really deeply integrated and seen in the whole body can, you know, and that's what, you know, that's what's the problem with being an astrologer is, is that, you know, you got somebody comes to two or three of your workshops and next week they're advertising themselves as an astrologer. You know, it's not, you know, yes, it, there's a temptation to be there. But uh, really, I think that it would be very, very wise as if most young people would realize that um, this is an ancient art and it takes 20, 30 years to really get it together, you know, before mm-hmm. you can, you know, you know, and because also there's a great danger of psychic um, identification with the archetypes, and so we've talked about this a lot. You know, sublimation and 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 possession and inflation, which are results of connecting with the unconscious without having a really strong ego. So then again, we're deeping. You know, now we're really in the depth of Jung's work. Right. You know, and and tremendously valuable material, but not material that you can penetrate so easily. You know, it's every time we talk, Martin, I get this feeling of like more and more. <laughs> you know, it's like I just want I I just feel like there, I have so many questions that I I and I often think about you of a, as a great um, 
conduit of maybe conduit's not the right word or translator or um conduit of young right like it's like you you carry and hold this body of knowledge um and you it needs to be shared and i value that so much in in the, the time and effort that you've put into your studies and and how you can support other people and you're right you know this work is sacred um is one word for it it's we need to be careful cautious with it um because it's powerful and it can create a lot of change but it can also create a lot of breakdown and um you talked just briefly about the ego there and i want to make a note we're not going to dive into it we could but i just want to say you know there's and you had brought this up in our one of our talks together but you know having an ego isn't a bad thing and if there's a trend right now where people talk a lot about letting go of ego like that the ego is the problem right but we we yeah what do you have to say to that well that's the thing is uh, um well these you know like uh, all of these things that you bring up they're doorways you know and then <laughs> that door, you open it and all of a sudden you got a long hallway you know and then you know by the time you get down that whole long hallway you forgot about all the other doors that you knocked on and uh, so so we'll just call it planting seeds martin we're just planting we're seeds planting for people seed. <laughs> well, that's the first, that's the first thing, you know, and we've been talking about this before, and I, I kind of see this podcast as being uh, the first of many, I'm hoping, you know, that we can uh, maybe uh, choose a subject and really dive deep into it. But um, in terms of the ego, and this is, uh, you know, there's a part of Jung's work that addresses that. And if anybody's really interested in that subject matter, and, and that's what I look at myself as really is a, is, a, is a gatekeeper, you know, a doorkeeper, you know, and that's the archetype of Saturn. Saturn is the, is the dweller on the threshold, you know. Oh, you know, you want to know where that information is? Well, you go down that hallway, third door on the left, here it is, you know. And so, so that book is the secret of the golden flower the secret of golden flower uh, speaks to something that's very very important very very meaningful that little book was printed in the 1940s late 1930s never been out of print uh, and it's a analysis you know Jung co-works co co with um, co-contributes co-create with uh, his good friend um, Richard Wilhelm, who was the translator of the I Ching. And so Jung posthumously published the I Ching, um, which was Richard Wilhelm's masterpiece. And uh, that is also a, a, a must in everybody's library is the, the Wilhelm edition of the I Ching, an incredible book. Uh, but uh, in that book, Jung warns, and also in other parts of his work, especially in um, volume 11 of the collected works, Psychology and Religion, East and West, in his commentary on, on Eastern uh, religion. Jung talks about the great danger of this, and, and he looks... Um, he looks at that point. Anyway, I'm not going to go too far down that hallway. But uh, the secret of the golden flower describes what happens to a Western person who approaches Eastern mysticism and who doesn't understand 
the roots of his own being and can become very dissociated by going to the East, mm. you know, and to not understanding the roots of those ideas. And then he points to the fact that the Eastern mind, uh, the, the Eastern mind is a mostly introverted psyche who uh, uh, has done a tremendous amount of work through the millennia to really develop a relationship with the inner world. Mm -hmm. And so his philosophy is basically an introverted, whereas our Western history is an extroverted history. And the clash of the two and the employing, what happens when one takes Eastern philosophy without an understanding of what it means to introvert, you know, we don't understand what that means. You know, we talk about introvert and when we talk about an introvert, we look at a kind of a dissociated, um, you know, uh, disconnected, neurotic individual who can't be socially engaged. Mm -hmm. That's not an introvert. An introvert is somebody who you know, builds his days not on extroverted accomplishment, but on inner studies and inner work. And, you know, and that, you know, it's not that the intellect and the soul is not active, actually is way more active than the person, you know. And so the, the Eastern mind understood these things, you know. And so then, then, then what we do is we extrovert an introverted practice and that causes first an inflation, then a sublimation. And, and so Jung talks about that in, um, in volume 16 in, um, in um, a fabulous essay that I would really love to do with somebody uh, in this kind of format is, um, is the, the philosophical rose, the Rosarium Philosophorum and what happens in the transference. But uh, just to, to finish the point there and to wrap this up, um, th this, uh, this dissolving of the ego and the strong sense of a, an ego or a strong sense of self, the Eastern mind doesn't lose himself in introversion. Does, when he talks about getting rid of the ego, he talks about getting rid of the false ego. Right. And he looks at the Atma as the real self. So then the shift of personality goes from the center of the ego to the Atma, and Jung talks about the same thing. He talks about shifting from the ego to the self. Right. Right. So, but we, you know, so we identify the ego and we think that the ego has become the self. Mm -hmm. And then we use these practices and then we become inflated by that. And, and it's akin to possession, Right. And and then and it's and then it leads to sublimation, which is also really useful. But then, if we only stay there, then we're actually in a sublime state of dissociation. And sublimation is when you engage in practices, or can't explain it again. <laughs> well, you you you. you sublimate everything you want to be in heaven i see thank you you know without going down to hell 
So it's you know, like you want to rise up without doing the work. And exactly. And that would be, and I know I said this in our talk, but in, you said no, but it's kind of like spiritual bypassing in a way, isn't it? Using spiritual Absolutely. practices to bypass the pain or exactly. to bypass the work and to bypass Absolutely. really looking. And I see that a lot, you know, even I, I know you know this, but I take a, a lens of working with people from healing trauma. So looking at the things that, that we see as traumatic or experiences that have been traumatic and, and these things that have been, been planted within our unconscious is maybe how I would explain it. And, you know, people will want to heal, say their trauma or their core wounds or whatever we want to call it, um, without going there without going back to those places and seeing what was, what, what was lost and what was, what, what's been stuck there. You know, it's like they want to meditate their way through, um, but it doesn't even, work. Even worse, even worse. You know, the first thing that people come, you know, in analysis, you know, and they say, Oh no, I've done this already. Yeah. You, you know, I've overcome this, you know, I had a client the other day said, no, no, I've done this work already. And, and it's not that you can just say no to that stuff, to the no. shadow. It, it, and that it, is the it, shadow, right? And so this is the thing that, that you talk about hell, but what you're talking about is going to the shadows, going to the parts of ourselves that that are, are um, hard to see, the, the parts that are painful, the, the, the wounds, the behaviors, and the things that have come about from our woundedness. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, we and and to die, you know, and it's akin to really, you know, exploring our neurosis and exploring our latent psychosis by allowing us to dive into it with the tools that we need and with a strong ego. And I think that that's really the myth of Christianity, you know, bearing the cross, you know, and in the process of being crucified and of being reborn, you know, mm. you know, Jung sees that as the alchemical process of the negretto, what we do when we bear our own cross and we realize, you know, that, you know, my father was this and my father was that and, you know, he beat us and, well, you know, and grandfather this and all, you know, all of that that ancestral baggage that's the cross you need to bear and you need to redeem the ancestral line through the work that you're doing you know so to sublimate above that and to think that i've achieved self-realization and not do the ancestral work that's the spiritual bypassing you know yeah. that's the sublimation and, and it, this is it, why it's so important. Sorry to interrupt, Martin. But, you no know, problem. when you go to, say, bear that cross or go to the gates of hell, that's why you need the tools. And we talk about the ego, like having a strong ego, like having a, a strong sense of self before you go there. Right? Because that's where it can get really scary or mucky. And I often think about when I work with clients we don't go to those places until somebody's resourced. That's what I say. I call it you're resourced because it gets mucky. It gets mucky when you do the work. And that's what happens in my work too, you know, because, you know, it's, you know, the astrology is, can be violent, you know, because it really will drag up, you know, so, so it's not for the unresourced, you know, and yes, you need to, you know, but people, you know, in our day and age and in history, you know, people don't realize that the astrologer is kind of like the psychotherapist, you know, 
we think that we just go to the astrologer once and or you know every once in a while you know and so that's the biggest challenge that i have is to realize you know and that's why now i'm integrating more and more dream work you know but again i i'm, I'm my role is different you know when people come to me they want to know you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, so, you know, you say, well, do you really want to know? Yeah. Well, here it is, <laughs> you know, and that can be shocking, but for the right person, like for yourself, you know, that's really resourced. So that's why my work, it tends to be for those who have, who are working with the work, you know, and, and, and that points to something that you were saying earlier that I want to comment on. It really seems to me that we're in a process of redefining what psychology is, yes. you know, Yes, and, we are. And, and so that's the great work. That's the great task. Like this podcast, this this work that we're doing, you know, we're bar, we're part of a greater movement that is an archetypal movement where the archetypes are seeking to be redefined through our work. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing. And that's the great mission of our times, you know, the great need of this crisis is to rewire how we in how we deal with death and how we deal with what the meaning of life is and and so it's a great great time for doing the work and and i don't know do you feel that that more and more people really want to go deep and figure it out oh absolutely absolutely um i mean aside from the work that i'm doing with people i see it everywhere i see it everywhere people are are um are are wanting to heal people are wanting to heal and um but in addition to that people are starting to question things too you know it's um it's strange times it's different times and i i see i see the contrast between generations as well it feels like people of my generation and younger are really in a place of of wanting to to like do the inner work go to counseling heal ask the questions um but i also think that we're able to do that now because of the work that the people before us have done right there's there's a level of um security that we have now even though i say that knowing that right now there's not a lot of security but i guess what i'm saying is that you know my grandmother was highly focused on survival every day. So there wasn't space or time necessarily to do this work. Right. And we're at a different place now. We have a little bit, maybe it's because of technology. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's because of the planetary map that we're in, but it just feels like it's become a priority and it wasn't before. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Um, and I think that uh, we're returning to times like, you know, great grandmother and grandmother lived through, you know, a time of necessity. You know, we are. I think we, we're, we, you know, this, you know, this, uh, this definition, you know, the psychological definition and the psychological model that we went into this experiment of, you know, you know, I mean, I think you can look at it, you know, from like the, you know, from the end of World War Two, you know, to 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 now, you know, in in, you know, 70, 80 years, we've done so much materialistic progress. And yet we've become completely dissociated from what really, truly matters. Mm 
And intoxicated. And intoxicated, completely disconnected, dissociation. You know, we're, we're you know, they're, they're more suicide now. There's more loss of life due to hopelessness and drug addiction and alcoholism. We, we are facing dark, dark times. And um, the narrative is being exposed. And I think that that's really what's the sad thing about the narrative is that we don't realize that this is not an economic or a social crisis. It is a spiritual crisis. We have lost our our um, our compass. We have lost. We have you know, and and um, Richard Tarnas makes that point beautifully in his book. You know, uh, the Cosmos and Psyche. He, he he says you know ever since the Copernican Revolution, we are kind of you know the Copernican Revolution is this time in history we realized that the earth was in the center of everything. And psychologically, we've been spinning out of control ever since, you know, and, you know, that, you know, the reformation and all of the changes that happened after that, you know. And so then to be able to look at this from an historical perspective and to realize that this isn't about an economic crisis, this isn't about a health crisis, this isn't about, you know, a social crisis, this is a spiritual crisis where the very definition of who we are is put in question. And that's why, that's the beginning and the end of Jung's contribution, that's his message, and that's why it's so important. And that's why also modern psychology has ostracized Jung's because he knew that, you know, and what we see is, you know, the same thing that's going on with the pharmaceuticals. Well, the pharmaceuticals have taken over psychiatry and psychology and have made them, you know, and have, you know, and the universities, you know, are evil partners in that dissociation, you know. And Jung says something really interesting in his early work. He says, anybody who thinks that psychological illness is chemical base, he lives in the 18th, in the, in the, uh, in the 19th century. This is, this, you know, the, you know, Freud and Jung began their work from that point to realize that psyche is real. That's what psychology was. Psychology was to understand that there's a psyche and when the psyche is ill, the person is ill. Right. And, and but, but then materialistic scientific, you know, as completely, you know, culture has completely dissociated itself from the origin of what psychology is. Mm -hmm. So that basically what we practice today is psychology without psyche. Right. But with, you know, I do think, too, that has been what's been happening, but things are changing. You know, I think about now, I hear stories from people who have gone to their doctor and have said, you know, I'm, I'm depressed. Can I get some medication? And the doctor says, you should try counseling first. You know, and that's that's new. <laughs> that's yeah. that's new. And, um, you know, we've been told that if you're depressed there's something wrong with the chemicals in your brain. You need medication. Um, and I know for a fact that sometimes medication can stabilize so that people can do the work. And I just want to say that because it's true, but it's not the answer. 
It's not the only answer and it's not the solution. It's a tool. Yeah, we'll leave yeah, it at that. It's a yeah, tool. No, no, I, I, uh, I, uh, I love um, what uh, Corey Taxton says about this. He says uh, in his song, um, Sweet Misery, I think the song is, and he says, everybody wants a ride to heaven, but nobody wants to make the climb. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yes, these things, you know, and even this this movement of uh, mushrooms as a psychotherapeutical tool, yes, it works, but there's a great, great danger there to further the dissociation. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that um, if one isn't aware of the great danger that these things have and don't emphasize, you know, and that means we have to rewire psychiatry and psychology, you know, we have to, and that's the, that's what the, you know, Jung's movement has done, you know, we call it the new age movement, you know, we call it alternative healing, we call it all these things, you know, that they're not mainstream techniques, but they all come from a need to really give a voice to psyche, give a voice to spirit, redefine what is spirit in our times. Mm-hmm. And that's the age of, redef- you know, that's the shift of the age of between the Piscean age and the Qu- Aquarian age, you know. And that's where we are, Martin, is in that shift of the age. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I'm being mindful over time. Yes. I um, have to put the baby down firstly but um i feel like today we have opened some doors walked down hallways a few steps turn around come back walk down another door (laughs) but what i'm hopeful for those listening is that you know there's something if if you've enjoyed this talk um that we've sparked something in you for more for more study for more research if it feels right and I can say that Martin has an awesome YouTube page, Healer Dreamer Astrology, right? That's correct. I'll put it in the show notes. And Martin does amazing um, analysis of the, the planetary map that we're in currently. Mm-hmm. I always enjoy those. They're usually between like 20 and 30 minutes. That's the MC Starman oh, show. Yes. And that's on that page, though. Yes. yes, MC yes. Starman, and then I have uh, this uh, this uh, new one, uh, the Undiscovered yes. Self, which is a really beautiful study. I recommend you get the book. It's a little book, and then yes. at the second half of that book is a beautiful, beautiful series of chapters on dream analysis, which what? I will be doing next as a video series. And we didn't so even touch channel. on your dream analysis, sorry, but maybe that's going to be another talk because that's the work I've done with you mostly has been dream analysis. And I've found that very fruitful. Well, the synchronicity that happens between dream analysis and astrology and using those tools to support your practice as, as a psychotherapist, as a, as, a, as a counselor, as an analyst, that's what my work is about. You know, mm-hmm. I mostly work with people who have a strong sense of the work that they do in this world and um, who need some additional tools. And yeah. so that's what the Healer and the Dreamer Astrology is about, is learning to mix uh, synchronistically the astrology and the dream analysis and to add those two tools to your um, bag of tools so yeah please people reach out and uh, it'd be great to continue this work that we're doing 
Yes. And you also do individual astrology sessions and dream work sessions. And I just want to note that. So I will um, link Martin's YouTube page. And then we've talked about a few books today. And I will also write those in the show notes for those of you who are interested. And um, I have no doubt that Martin will be back. There's um, some unturned rocks or unopened doorways, hallways here that (laughs) I want to open with you. So um, thanks for being here today, Martin. I always enjoy our talks and really value you. Thank you for for having me. I feel so inspired uh, by this little talk. And uh, we've been talking about this for a while. So it's actually real. Yay! Yay! it's happening and it will continue to happen and i'll have you know that this morning i was like frantically googling ways that i could get all of the Jungian volumes i was like i need these now and then um, realized like that's a hefty penny so um just sharing that i'm gonna start diving into some of this reading myself as well you can uh, shop for them in 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 used bookstores that's how i got most of mine just use bookstores, you know, just, you know, in, in the urban centers and usually the right volume shows up, but also, you know, it depends on where you are and what you want to start with in terms. And then I can also help you guide you in your, in your studies, you know, what would be, and then the ones that I mentioned today, uh, Mm -hmm. the secret of the golden flower, you'll get a lot out of that. And volume 16, the practice of psychotherapy. I started that one. Oh yeah. How's that? I have. It's so good. I stopped, I stopped at a certain place because I ended up getting pregnant and my study stopped. But I remember reading that and having some big like whoa moments. So yeah. yeah. That's very cool. practical. Yeah. Thank you, Martin. I hope you have a lovely day and uh, we'll touch base soon. Mm-hmm. Say hi to the babies and to the man for me and over and out. <laughs> What a pleasure to have Martin on the podcast finally. And I hope that today's episode has opened your mind a little bit to astrology and maybe its applications uh, in our lives and, and in our history. Uh, If you want to follow Martin, as he said, you can find him on YouTube and Instagram healer dreamer astrology. I will put that um, information in the show notes along with some of the resources that Martin mentioned today on the podcast. We have a video version of this podcast up on the YouTube channel, my YouTube channel, Deandra Day Therapy. You can also find me on Instagram, deandra.daycreative. Um, and you know, if you're enjoying this podcast, you like to listen please subscribe, share with your friends, and uh, feel free to leave a note wherever you listen to these podcasts. Let us know what you think about it. And a big thank you to all of you supporting this podcast. Have a great day.